0: Live from the Move and Go
1: studios, it's Sports Talk. Here's Steve Kaplowicz and Adrian Broaddus. Welcome back, everybody. Good to have you with us uh, on a Wednesday afternoon uh, here on Sports Talk, along with Adrian Broaddus, back at our 600 ESPN El Paso uh, control room. Steve Kaplowicz with you from the... Lubingo Studios, as we are going to uh, take you through uh, a few big hours uh, here on uh, 600 ESPN El Paso. In fact, uh, as we... Talk about our friends at Lubingo, who have been sponsoring our studio for years. Uh, We do want to remind you, folks, that uh, the hours are now changing at Lubingo. They will be open Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., effective today, and uh, continue to be closed on Sunday. In addition, uh, they recently introduced a drive-through maintenance option, should you prefer to stay in your vehicle for service. And all the folks at Lubingo and the 12 locations around El Paso remind all of you to be well and uh, stop into Lubingo Monday through Saturday, nine to five and closed on Sundays. And in case you were wondering, yes, Lubingo is classified as essential and critical workers in the transportation and logistics sector outlined within the recent CISA guidelines so all of their centers will remain open during the stay home work safe period here in El Paso all right Big show lined up for you today. Uh, Jeff Erickson's going to join us um, in about 15 minutes. Uh, there's still been a lot of uh, changing around the uh, football world, which is why we want to get Jeff on to talk a little bit about the impact that can have. John Teicher is going to join us at 5. Um, and then the Don Haskins hour with John from August 8th, 2006 will air at 6 p.m. tonight during the Don Haskins hour. Now um, we were scheduled to launch our 600 ESPN El Paso all time UTEP minor bracket today with 64 players seated in matchups that you can vote on. However, found out uh, earlier this morning that UTEP was going to release themselves the second-best team in basketball history. So UTEP uh, essentially, uh, instead of players, went with teams, took 16 of them because there's been 17 teams that have gone to the tournament over the years, including the championship team in 66. And what they've done is they've removed the 66 team, and now fans will have a chance to vote for the second-best team in UTEP basketball history. Because of this we did not want to launch and start our um, our 64-player bracket the exact same day and time that UTEP was launching theirs. So we're going to put ours on hold until Monday of next week. So um, on Monday, that's when you'll have the opportunity, folks, to um, get a chance to see our bracket of the round of 64. That'll be March the 30th. So March the 30th. 30th, we will unveil our bracket. Simply put, Adrian, it's cool what UTEP did. It's funny how we did not talk to each other. There was no discussion with the Miners during any of this, and while we went with players, they went with teams, and ultimately, we're going to launch them the same day, so um, I'm happy that uh, Jeff Darby reached out to us in advance, because I know Jeff and John and, and all of them have been working on this, and that way, we'll give UTEP the opportunity to start their team bracket Bracket this week, we'll go into our player tournament bracket uh, coming up on Monday.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited for that, though, Steve. And hey, I'm kind of looking at this right now, the second best team in school history. I just have to say, isn't it crazy that there's only three teams from the 21st century and you know, anything past 2000? There's only three teams on this list of 16 groups. And uh, I, I really like all the options that they have. I'll, I'll have to tell you, though, Steve, I'd probably go with the number one seed. That 1963-64 team was lead.
1: I think that of all the teams uh, that we ever heard about, yes, it, it's going to be tough. I don't know how the 63-64 team loses because they had Barnes. He was the number one overall pick in the draft. Um, and I have had uh, Nolan Richardson and other members of those Texas Western teams tell me that they believed that the 63-64 team was actually better than the 65-66 national championship team that just pound for pound nobody on the 65-66 team matched up with Jim Barnes and there were a lot of players that were part of the 66 team that also played on the 6364 team so I've heard that from others that even though they didn't win the national championship and they were bounced out in the second round because Barnes got into foul trouble uh, that and Don Haskins even said um, over the years that he always wondered you know you know the 6364 team could have been the best team he ever had even though they did not go out and win the tournament
2: yeah, I think that when you talk about fan voting, I think the 2009-2010 team will get a lot of love. I think your teams from the 80s will get a lot of love. But, you know, historically speaking, that 64 team, they could have had a great run in that tournament, just like you said, Steve, had it not been for some foul trouble for Jim Bad News barnes against Kansas State.
1: It's really true. And, and then you also wonder now, and, and it's kind of cool because, you know, eventually you could get that matchup between the 91-92 Sweet 16 team and the 63-64 team. That will be really, really interesting. But here's the thing, too, okay? Think about this. People that vote are, generally speaking, younger fans. So they weren't around In the 63-64 season, they might have heard the stories, but they never they never knew Jim Bad News Barnes and just how dominant he is. So I'm interested to see if the 63-64 team gets bounced in the first round of this voting because the people voting really they they remember the 87-88 minors, but they didn't know a lot about the 63-64 minors because of bad news.
2: No, I'm totally with you on that. I think that when you talk about timing, then people might not necessarily vote them, but they might decide to vote with some of the teams from the '80s because that's when they went to school or that's when they became minor fans. And so, I'm really interested to see how the voting process will go. And hey, maybe this will give us an insight. We'll what uh, uh, fans can vote for our bracket that will come up next week as
1: well. So the number one overall seed was the 63-64 team. The number two seeds the 91-92 team. The number 3 seed is the 83-84 team. The 4 seed will be the 09-2010 team. The 5 seed will be the 86-87 team, which is the team with Jeep as a senior. The 6 seed will be the 88-89 minors. The 7 seed is the 85-86 minors. The 8 seed would be the 04-05 minors. The 9 seed is the 66-67 minors, the year after they won the title. The 10 seed is the 0304 Miners. Isn't it interesting that the 0304 team is seated below the 0405 team? Yeah, Which, I found that interesting. You know, because I really thought that Billy Gillespie's team would be seated higher than Doc Sadler's team, but that's not the case. So Doc's team gets the 8 seed, um, and Billy's team gets the 10 seed. Then you got the 6970 team is the 11 seed, the 6263 team is the 12 seed. The six the eighty-four-eighty-five minors are the thirteen seed. The seventy-four-seventy-five minors is the fourteen seed. The eighty-nine ninety minors, the fifteen seed, and the eighty-seven eighty-eight minors is your sixteen seed. Boy, that seeding is the toughest part. Let me tell you something. Seeding is the toughest part with, with our contest and the players. It's gonna be the toughest part with the teams. Voting will start, by the way. Tomorrow. At 10 a.m., you can vote 116, you can uh, vote on um, 314, 512, and 710, and then on Friday, you get to vote on 215, 413, 611, and 89. That's awesome. I love that. So, you know what? As much as we wanted to kick ours off today, uh, this is fun because I love what UTEP's doing. I think it's great. And I think that starting with teams and then rolling it into players later is going to give UTEP uh, basketball fans the ultimate, really, because think about it. They're, they're, they're voting on the best of the best, and that's what matters, right? That's, that's really the, the name of the game here, uh, Adrian, as we kick things off uh, on this uh, Wednesday afternoon.
2: Yeah, Steve, I'm excited for this. I think that the voting will tell a lot about how the fans kind of think right now. And if fans go to more of the 80s, then we might get more votes on our end for some of the uh, 80s players. So I'm interested in how the voting process will go for UTEP basketball coming up tomorrow.
1: I am too. And if you want to weigh in on it, we'd love to hear from you right now. eight eight zero five seven six three our telephone number, as we kick things off on this Wednesday edition of the program. So, I mean, if you just looked at your favorite team, now, again, it's tough because I can see different favorite teams. There's favorite teams from when um, you were watching, and then there's the historic look where you kind of look at the minors before, um, you know, before you were around. So, for example, for me, the first tournament team that I ever had the opportunity uh, to watch was, I think, the 82-83 team. So that was because we moved here in 78. And I wasn't around in the 74-75 season in El Paso. I was still in New York. So for me, just looking at you know these these teams, the actually, it was 83-84 was the first NCAA tournament team that I had a chance to be a part of as a fan growing up in El Paso and watching. But... I spent many a time talking to Coach Askins about that 63-64 team and he thought that that could have easily been uh, the best team he ever had because of Barnes, because Barnes was just so dominant on the court when you look at his numbers and what he was able to put together as a minor. I mean, the, the, the stats are ridiculous, especially in that time period, because you think about it, um, you know, most players that even had great careers for Don Haskins never came close to putting up the kind of numbers that Barnes put up in those uh, early 60s.
2: Steve, it's funny, yesterday, uh, Soup Campbell on the on the Haskins show, he was referencing a, a former player who he thought scored 50 points in a game, and Coach Haskins said, wait, 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 who who is that? No, he didn't score 50, now you're, and then uh, Soup was like, oh yeah, you're right, actually he probably scored about 40-something, and the reason why he was like that, I bet, was because Jim Barnes was one of the only, actually he was the only UTEP player to ever score over 50 points in a game, he did it against Western New Mexico. Mexico in a school record for points in a single game, 51 points for Jim Bad news, barnes I mean,
1: he was lethal on the floor. As a senior, he averaged 29.2 points, 19.2 rebounds. Think about that. Nearly 30 and 20 as a senior. As a junior, he was 18.9 points and 16.5 rebounds. I mean, those numbers are crazy when you start to realize just how dominant he was. In, uh, in that 63-64 season. So you're right. Absolutely right. Um, and it's fun because this is what it's all about. Getting a chance to really break things down from that uh, historical perspective. And that's why that 63-64 team was so tough. Yet, I do like how the 62-63 team with Barnes was a 12 seed. So the 63-64 is the one seed, the 62-63 a 12 seed. A lot of great teams in the 80s, so so much to contemplate uh, with this list. But I thought UTEP did a terrific job with it, and uh, I'm excited. This gives us something fun to watch. And uh, this is from Snoke Motive Minor, and Snoke Motive Minor tweeted, which four teams do you think have the best chance to win considering the voting demographics? I think there's going to be an 80s team that's got a chance to win. I think there's going to be the uh, 2009 2010 team, either the 03 04 team or the 04 05 team, and maybe as the one seed, the 63 64 team. But I'm worried about that season and that team because I just don't know if the voters will give the 63 64 team the credit that they deserve since it's going to be done on Twitter and social media. Adrian, that's a great mystery.
2: Yeah, I, I really uh, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think the 2009, 2010 team has a lot of, lo- uh, you know, they, they could get a lot of votes because of the demographics and voters. I think that 91, 92 team, I also think that uh, 83, 84 team could have a lot of traction as well. Don't sleep on the six seeded 1998, 1989 team as well. Mm-hmm. I think those teams all have a good chance in this tournament.
1: Great job by uh, Snokomotive Miner. I love it, and uh, we'll continue this conversation at five o'clock when uh, the voice of the miners, John Taisho, had a big part in this, uh, joins us uh, on the program live to to reminisce on the bear, which he'll be featured in our six o'clock hour. In the meantime, Charlie One's back. He's got a first traffic update on a Wednesday commute. Charlie, how are we doing today? Six hundred ESPN El Paso. Back on Sports Talk as we continue. 880 5763 is our telephone number to get through to the program. Right now, though, we've got a special guest. And uh, normally this time, uh, Jay Jaffe talks baseball and beer, but we've um, adjusted the schedule a little bit since uh, baseball has uh, slowed down although the injury bug has not Jeff Erickson going to uh, step in for Jay today from uh, com and uh, join us an hour earlier than normal uh, first off uh, before we get to sports let's talk uh, about you the family and how uh, everybody uh, is uh, adjusting since we spoke to you last week
3: thanks Steve. we're doing all right you know all things considered we could be a lot worse off i mean we're healthy and you know, the kids are going stir crazy. Uh, my little one, you know, had a had a day yesterday where it settled in a little bit. The reality of the situation, how long this is going to be, and how she misses her friends, she misses soccer, and all that. But uh, you know, we're trying. You know, the thing is to try to get a routine going. I mean, she's got like remote schooling at least. But you know, it's it's easy. Like I pre-record my XM show now, so uh, instead of uh, getting up and starting my day with a two-hour radio show, it's a one-hour recorded in the afternoon. thing. So I could theoretically just sleep in every day, but. I want to try to maintain a semblance of
1: routine. I hear you. Well, that's good. And ultimately, um, you know, it's interesting because California, it's uh, it's more severe than a lot of places right now. So, obviously, uh, you might approach things differently from your own life uh, as opposed to somebody living in uh, someplace else, you know?
3: Oh, for sure. And, you know, you know, we're, luckily, I'm in an area that's not hit too hard right now. So, let's knock on wood on that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I... I business wise you know i'd like to see some sports happen but at the same time i understand everything that has to happen before that we can even think about that you know that's the thing uh and just got to get through this I, I i fear though that you know and not to get triggered but that we haven't peaked yet that it, it this whole thing is still going to get worse a little bit before it gets better
1: I hear you. I'm with you on that one. By the way, we interviewed uh, Richard Grisham yesterday, who's a, a video game designer from the game Out of the Park Baseball 21. It's a simulated okay. league, and it was pretty cool because he talked about, you know, just being able to simulate. You can build ballparks. You can go with. You can run a full simulated 2020 season. You could do historical. You could build your own team. And I'm like, you know what? For a fantasy player, that's not a bad way to help pass the time right now. Is have a little fun with that.
3: Oh, absolutely! You know my Strat-o-matic league, uh, you know it's always strat is always backwards looking. We're starting our season a month early. We're going to start on April first instead of May first, like we usually do. So that'll help pass the time too. Yeah, absolutely. Anything historical, anything like that. MLB The Show is uh, a big thing that came, that rolled out just in time. I, I don't have a PS4 yet, but I'm thinking about it uh, just because it sounds like that's, that'd be a lot of fun too. And you can you know just you can gameplay, but you can also franchise build too, and that sounds like a lot of fun.
1: Hey, meanwhile, um, you know, baseball is non-existent right now. We're hearing that it could be a, a season that starts in June. It could be a season that starts in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are saying that baseball should take a page out of football and just have fun with it and make it something completely unique this year. Uh, I don't know for sure what's going to happen, but I do know that injuries haven't stopped since uh, tomorrow. Noah Syndergaard going to have Tommy John surgery. It's amazing as to a guy that, you know, has been uh, really uh, atop the rotation, with uh, Jake DeGrom for the last couple of seasons and so much potential that all of a sudden doesn't feel right and next thing you know UCL tear Tommy John surgery I guess if there's one constant during what we've seen the last few weeks it's that players will still get hurt especially pitchers.
3: Right and I guess he felt it in his last spring training outing before they closed up shop and then you know you want to wait for it to calm down test it out a couple weeks later did that still not good did an exam and found it and here we are, uh, and you know, similar to Chris Sale, that at first it was a flexor tendon mass issue, and they're like, I think even then they knew, but they just wanted to test it one more time. And you know, that's always surgery is always the last resort. And I think you know, Sale is probably a couple weeks ahead of Thor as far as that goes. But yeah, uh, that's three major starters now, uh, top 20 starters out for the season. Uh, whenever we have a season between Severino, Sale, and now Syndergaard. Uh, it's going to put a little bit of, when we do have uh, baseball again, if you haven't had it, your draft yet, and I have like four or five leagues still remaining, including my two biggest ones, uh, it's going to put some pressure to get starters early, and they're both snake drafts. So it'll be uh, a little bit of uh, extra pressure to go ahead and try to find those aces.
1: It really will. And you kind of wonder, you know, other players right now that are not playing, they're going to try and ultimately keep themselves in the best kind of condition they possibly can to stay healthy. Hopefully nobody else gets hurt during the delay as they continue to to train. I saw this great video of Wilson Contreras and his brother shooting um, ping pong balls with like a... Like a gun, and he was behind a garage uh, and and using a bat and swing I'm like, that's a cool way to try to stay uh, stay loose during this and take extra bP just do it right in front of your house uh, using using uh, you know nerf balls and a gun,
3: yeah, sure, why not? and uh yeah, you got to be creative it' it, it kind of like going back to being kids and trying to find ways to occupy your time and le- you know self play and learn how to do little things like that uh and you know or play with a couple of people and you know, you don't have these, you know, these fancy facilities. Uh, but that a lot of the uh, kids these days, you know, you, instead, you learn on the field a little bit more. I mean, that let's face it, you know, mo- three quarters of the world, uh, soccer-wise, that's how, that's where the beginnings start before you get into anything organized. And uh, you know, at least, at least they're staying in shape that way.
1: They sure are. So that's uh, kind of our, our, our baseball uh, for now, at least And when we see. What do you think, in terms of the season, do you think they're just going to try to maybe try to get half a season in? Do you think that's a good idea? And if this starts in June or July, instead of trying to play a ridiculous number of games, just make the most of what you have. And I don't think fans are going to complain with a shortened season. They get it. They understand. And instead of baseball trying to do too much to wear players down during a short period of time, why not just roll with the punches and have some fun with it?
3: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I, you know, I I've heard some talk that they'll have a weekly doubleheader. I don't know. I, a scheduled doubleheader sounds kinda of cool to me actually. Uh it's uh old school days where, you know, you didn't have day night, you just had back to back doubleheaders. Fans mm-hmm. got a little more bang for their buck. You know, they could do things like that. Uh, it would be appreciated probably, but well, we may not have fans, that's the other thing. Uh it might very well be uh instance where we're when they're playing they're not playing in front of fans. In fact I I'd say that's the odds-on favorite. I mean, it's kind of hard to speculate on anything because we don't even know how this virus is going to run. We don't know how how quickly they can really ramp up, uh, What how they can build a schedule for that matter. I wouldn't be surprised if it lasts a little bit longer into the year. Uh, I don't think they want to be playing too deep, though, because then all of a sudden in northern towns, you're going to be dealing with, uh, you know, winter and, you know, weather conditions. Uh, you know, so that's something to worry about there, too. So, you know, cross that bridge when we come to it, when we know we're actually going to start. But I, it will – it's. Um, I think it's impossible to have 162 games. I think it'd be even. I think it'd be wish casting to have 140. But we'll see.
1: Do you like the idea that um, the general manager of the Blue Jays uh, introduced, like the minor leagues, seven inning twin bills uh, during the season? Sure, why not?
3: You know, it's baseball. I'll take it. I'll take it in pretty much any form. You know, I'll, I'll take uh, if you want to give me 80 games. Fine, sold, done. Give it to me. I'll take it. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll write about it. Uh, I'll f- find a way to, you know, exploit whatever uh, rules there are for fantasy purposes. Just, just give me baseball. I'll be happy if it. If we have even a half a season starting in July, I'll be happy.
1: Well, let me put it this way: if you're in a uh, points-based league and it's a dynasty league and you play an 80-game season, you can always just double the numbers to try to simulate what a 160-game That's season would be true. like. That's also
3: true. That's a good point. 600 ESPN El Paso.
1: again uh, from our team at com, it's uh, Jeff Erickson who joins us uh, every Wednesday to talk uh, fantasy sports and again you go to the website right now you're still uh, seeing uh, stories like uh, NFL free agency winners and losers you even have a way too early NBA top 50 for uh, next season so you guys are, are looking at everything and uh, making sure you keep the content coming no matter what
3: yeah we and trying to be creative uh, we did a all-time football draft, not fantasy football draft, but football draft, starting 11s on both sides, a heads-up draft. Uh, myself and my uh, colleague Chris List uh, did that for XM and turned that into an article, too. Uh, you know, you have to just find a, some uh, creative ways. I think for tomorrow's show we're going to do uh, a draft of movies in four different categories, like comedy, action, horror, and sports. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. It should be a little, you know, you just have to be fun. Turn every, you can turn almost anything into a draft.
1: You could, and that seems to be uh, what uh, you know. A lot of people are doing, having some fun with it. That's good. You kind of look historically at things, and uh, you know we're doing it here with Utah basketball over the years with the best teams, the best players. So yeah. I get it, and you can kind of do the same things on uh, on more of a, a national scale. Uh, so the the moves around the NFL, there's been a lot of defensive signings. There's been a lot of uh, defensive trades, and yet I, I look at you know some of the other moves like Marcus Mariota to the Raiders, two years, $17.6 million. Kyle Allen uh, traded by Carolina to Mm -hmm. Washington. Um, So, you know, it might not be Brady uh, in the big ones, but, hey, there's even Brian Hoyer gets a one-year $2 million deal to go back to the Patriots.
3: Yeah, it sounds like he might even back up Stidham. We'll see about that. It looks like the Pats might go cheap at quarterback. Plus, Cam getting released. Now you got that out on the market. Andy Dalton could still get released. Uh, Jameis Winston's looking for a job. You got a lot of things going on there, uh, so yeah, a lot of different uh, ways of looking at. It. You mentioned the Mariota signing, and I thought that was interesting. Seventeen million—that's not backup money. You know that—that's real money that they're paying. And you know, he could be this year's Tannehill. Goes to a new location, gets a right coaching set situation there. Maybe, uh, I, I, Car. If I'm Car, I wouldn't uh, rest easy. That's for sure.
1: No doubt about it. And then a move that kind of flew under the radar a little bit was uh, ha ha Quentin Dix going to the Cowboys, because he's been everywhere the last few sure. years, yet he could also, now that he uh, reunites uh, with Mike McCarthy in Dallas, uh, become a starting safety, something they desperately need right now heading into the season.
3: Yeah, boy, the Cowboys are having a lot of turnover, too. Uh, that's one of the things that's uh, been kind of under uh, underrated uh, a little bit there, that uh, they lost a lot of key guys, so we'll see. I mean, uh, a new coach, too, It's uh, it's it really is a new era for the Cowboys.
1: It is. And by the way, um, I think the biggest surprise was just the sudden retirement of Travis Frederick uh, yesterday.
3: Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Uh, the offensive line, And they they struggled when he was hurt last time, too. So, uh, you know, it, you know, the Cowboys' offensive line still was graded out very well, but it wasn't like the elite unit that it used to be. Uh, and this is, this is a significant chunk out of it. They lost some depth, too, uh, uh, as well. Uh, the, uh, the guy that signed for the Bengals. I was back up there, but, you know, was often like the sixth lineman often, you know, filled in. And now you take away one less, one more guy there, so uh, they'll have to address that in the draft.
1: If you had to pick the best landing spot for a guy like Jadavian Clowney, let's start with him, where would it be?
3: Staying in Seattle. I, I, I think that's the most likely, uh, you know, place for him is to... Get another, get another deal there. um i It's just—it's interesting. Edge rushers haven't been getting the contracts that uh, we expected. In fact, it's the interior alignment that all signed quickly. Uh, I'm a little—I you know, was a little surprised. There's not a bigger market for Clowney, but then again, he's been hurt a lot, so that might be a reason why.
1: How about Cam Newton and Jameis Winston? Where would you like to see them go?
3: I'd love to see Cam on the Chargers. I think that's a team that's close to winning now. Um, they they could still draft you know they, i i don't know if they're going to draft a starting quarterback uh, if they draft one of the you know tua or uh, uh justin herbert uh, you know then then definitely if that's their intent then then they won't go sign cam But i'd like to see him on a team i i'd like to see a, a, you know a healthy cam get one more shot on a real team you uh, know the question is are we going to get a healthy cam coming off of that list frank's injury there uh that's the one thing i kind of worry about
1: the only uh, really marquee running back that's left right now is Carlos Hyde, and, and he's 29 years of age, but you look at what he did last season, 1,070 yards and 14 starts. Uh, you know, that's a serviceable running back to a lot of teams.
3: Serviceable, yeah. I, I, the thing is he doesn't catch passes, and in today's NFL, I, you know, I, I really want to have a lead running back be a guy that can also be a threat in the passing game, too. He's okay. Uh, he's not great uh and i i think he'll he'll find a job but his trade cost last year he was pretty close to getting just cut by the chiefs instead they were uh, able to work something out there with the texans but you know the fact is he doesn't have a whole lot of uh, market on the open uh, value on the open market there
1: let's talk about the website again rotowire.com, and some of the things that you've got coming up for uh, sports fans here over the next uh, few days uh, to a week
3: well, you know, we're going to keep trying to crank out some content. I'm writing up a uh, couple of articles. One is my FOMO list, fear of missing out list, guys, that I haven't had so far in my drafts. I still got like five five drafts left. Uh, another one, is I I kind of want to dig into some of the uh, Statcast metrics, whether it's you know uh, on the pitching side of things, uh, like you know exit velocity or barrel rate, you know who, who you know swing and strike rate, some of the outliers, positive and negative there uh you know i'm looking for speed in odd places maybe look at speed score when it doesn't match up with stolen bases see if we can find someone might be some hidden value there so there's some things i am gonna be digging around on that's one thing i have the luxury of is, is time to research these articles
1: are you staying all over twitter too so if people have questions they can just tweet you and you'll, you'll go ahead and address those as well
3: yeah i'm on twitter too much to be honest with you but uh yeah i i still am and you know anytime anybody's got a uh on on an an option there for a question on there i'm happy to answer that there of course uh just and you know it's a way to stay informed too just can't stay on there too long you start to get depressed
1: no doubt jeff underscore erickson on twitter folks so for those of you that haven't followed him yet do so he's a great follow hey enjoy the conversation as always we'll do it again uh, back next week thanks so much jeff
3: Thanks, Steve. appreciate you
1: you gotcha you too stay safe 38 past. The sports talk continues. Let's get to Eric Elkin, ABC 7 News. Then we'll come back with more in a moment right here at 600 ESPN El Paso.
3: 600 ESPN El Paso.
1: We're about an hour away from the Don Haskins hour at six o'clock when we replay a, a special August 2006 edition of the program with special guest John Teicher, longtime voice of the minors, who uh, was also part of Minor Madness uh, brought to you by GECU, where you can vote beginning tomorrow for the second best team in school history. And that takes <clears throat> all 16. Uh, NCAA teams minus the 65-66 national championship, so they're out, But because they won. We already know. They're the best uh, minor team in history. They, they're the only Texas team to win the national championship, so you can't do it with 17. you got to do it with 16, so everybody else will be in the bracket. And uh, John uh, joins us live on our Village and Hotline to begin hour number two. Tysh uh, first off, uh, good to have you back on the program. Uh, it's, it's fitting on a day when the university uh, releases the uh, Minor Madness uh, poll which fans will get a chance to vote on beginning tomorrow in the brackets, and and um, your appearance on the Don Haskins show from 06. Uh, timing could not be better than to have you on the show today.
0: 2006, huh? Wow. I'm trying to think how old I might have been back in 2006. Good heavens. Wow. Mm. Good to be back with you, Steve.
1: It was actually the day after Doc Sadler took the job at Nebraska
0: which was August the it was probably August the 2nd because I think didn't Doc take the job at Nebraska the first day of August or certainly right around there it was uh, again one of several uh, atypical times that uh, UTEP was forced to look for a new uh, basketball coach starting with coach Haskins own uh, resignation uh, when he uh, decided to uh, retire on the first day of the academic uh, year uh, what was that back in 1998 i think it was and uh the miners were forced to look for a new coach on the first day of school but uh yeah doc took that uh, nebraska job fairly uh, fairly late as well
1: he sure did um but that's uh, one of the big parts of of our discussion and uh, you know it's so interesting because um you first came to the area i believe what in the late 70s correct
0: Actually, it was January of 1980, Steve. I pulled in the latter part of January of 1980. I'll never forget it. It was on a Sunday afternoon, and my uh, Datsun B240Z was packed from floorboard to ceiling, uh, everything except the, uh, the driver's seat, which I occupied. Uh, I don't know how they allowed me to travel from California to West Texas without being able to see out of my rear view or right side view mirrors, but somehow I, I got here, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a late January Sunday in 1980 that uh, I pulled into El Paso.
1: Wow. That's amazing. And and having gone to school at at UCLA, did you just miss the John Wooden era as coach?
0: Yeah, I, I started Steve at UCLA in the fall of 1975 and coach Wooden had retired in the spring of 1975 following the, uh, the NC two, a tournament. So I started there in the fall. Gene Bartow had been named the uh, head coach. And of course, when I arrived at UCLA, I went right to their campus radio station, KLA, where I spent my next uh, four years, virtually every waking moment, uh, outside of, uh, class and uh, i spent two years with uh, with gene and then uh, two with uh, gary cunningham who of course had been one of coach wooden's uh, trusted aides so coach bartow for two years and coach cunningham for two years with the uh, were the head coaches at, uh, at ucla when i was a student for the bruins
1: and you knew from day one that student radio was something you wanted to do
0: yeah it's something i had figured out steve when i knew that uh, I wasn't going to be able to play beyond high school. I had figured out uh, growing up in Southern California and listening to the likes of Vin Scully and Dick Enberg and Chick Hearn and Bob Miller with the Kings, that all Hall of Famers, by the way, that uh, that was going to be the way to go for me. And uh, again, uh, with UCLA having a totally student-run radio station, I saw that as just a tremendous opportunity for me, beyond my uh, studies, to perhaps uh, get my foot in the door in uh, in media, and, and specifically in, in sports play-by-play radio.
1: I know you played basketball uh, in your younger years, because I remember seeing you at Open Gym over those years in the 80s, but was basketball the sport you played high school uh, high, in high school, or were there others as well?
0: Ba- basketball and baseball were the two Sports that uh, that I played, Steve. I, I was not. I did not play football, but it was uh, it was basketball and baseball. And I took enough. I, I was a third baseman in baseball. I took enough balls in the mouth uh, uh, during my uh, baseball time to uh, to uh, dissuade me from uh, taking that any further. Not that uh, I was uh, proficient enough to hit a, a breaking ball at a higher level. Than, than high school to uh, to be able to play uh, beyond the, uh, the high school level anyway.
1: So you drive into town a little more than 40 years ago, um, and do you still recall the first meeting you ever had with uh, Don Haskins?
0: Well, of course it wasn't right away, because wh- when I came to El Paso, it was uh, again in, in January, and, and my immediate responsibility was get to work in selling uh, advertising so we could produce our El Paso Diablo baseball radio broadcast. Steve Diablo's baseball had not been on the radio uh, prior to the time that I arrived in uh, in January of 1980. That's the reason I, I, I got to El Paso. I uh, visited with Jim Paul uh, several times, and we put together a radio deal for me to come here and, and do Diablos baseball so it actually was not that year it was not the uh the first off season because during that first off season I was the voice of the uh, New Mexico State Aggies it was actually after the second Diablo season I guess when I had uh, gotten the UTEP radio job that I met Coach Haskins for the first time and I walked into actually I walked into the Haskins Center it was either a it must have been a preseason workout, but uh, I Haskins must have known I was coming. Either that or he knew who the heck I was coming into the gym, but uh, he blurted out, well, here comes that uh, so-and-so Aggie, um, and uh, for all that were in the gym at that particular time to hear, and of course, you know, he had the familiar toothpick in his mouth, and he, w- he was laughing at the time he said it, but that's, that's really, as I recall, the first interaction that, uh, that Coach Askins and I uh, had ever had.
1: That's pretty good. Introducing you as an Aggie uh, for the first time, I'm sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny because when you came on board at, during that second season, it was almost perfect timing because it was right as the program was transforming yeah. into yeah. that perennial uh, tournament team.
0: Yeah, it was right as as the uh, the kids that he had recruited, Steve, in nineteen seventy seven. The Roshan Amys, the Anthony Burns, the Steve Yellens, the, the Tim Crenshaw's, the Jimbo Bowdens, the guys that had really brought this program back from perhaps the deepest abyss during Coach Haskins' thirty-seven, what would become Coach Haskins' thirty-seven years at uh, UTEP in the uh, in the mid. 1970s. It was that group that began to pull them out of that uh, tough period of time. But uh, it was the kids that followed those that group, Steve, that really uh, led to uh, UTEP's uh, true renaissance in the 1980s, winning five straight Western Athletic Conference championships, going to the NC2A tournament uh, seven consecutive years.
1: Did you know from the very beginning as you started to watch this team practice and see this team play that that really something special was in the works?
0: You know, I, I knew of obviously what Coach Haskins had accomplished and what he stood for, Steve. I'm not sure I could see it on the practice floor. A lot of times Coach Haskins did so much teaching during practice and there was so much stopping and starting. There was so little flow. To a Haskins practice that I really couldn't tell uh, about the proficiency of any of his teams until I actually watched them play in in game action. Obviously, you could see individual talent. Obviously, you could see things that were being taught and worked on, uh, which were obviously very very important. Uh, you know, as Coach Haskins often said, it was what was accomplished on the practice floor that. Uh, that uh, basically uh, determined any success that an individual team would have during the course of the season. So, I, I would say it, it, it was in the games that 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 I, I made the realization, began to make the realization that yes, there was there was something special afoot, but certainly not on the practice floor.
1: To put it into perspective. You have called 11 of the 16 teams that are in the new uh, Minor Madness uh, competition for the second-best team in school history that the school launched today. Uh, There was only five of those outside of the 66 team uh, that you were not a part of as voice of the minors.
0: Well, part of that, Steve, was through most of that period of time before I became the voice of the, uh, the UTEP program basically conferences received only one 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 school per year one slot per conference into the nc2a tournament it basically was your regular season champion that got into the tournament before they expanded the field and i don't remember whether the, the field was at 48 or at 32 when i first joined uh, the, uh, the UTEP program, but again, you have to remember it was not until 1984 that the Western Athletic Conference added a tournament for the very first time, and that obviously a, a, the, the tournament champion got the automatic bid, and they might or might not choose from individual leagues to take the regular season champion as well, but what was so fortunate for the WAC back in the 80s, Steve, and you're well aware of this, is that the conference was playing at such a high level with such great programs besides UTEP, like BYU, like Utah, like Wyoming, like San Diego State, like New Mexico, and you can go on and on and on, that the Western Athletic Conference, even when going to the tournament format, was getting minimum of three, four, five teams into the nc2a tournament field which i believe by that time it expanded to uh to 64 but uh you know it wasn't long before that that uh, it was only the regular season champ from most every league that was getting a bid into the tournament
1: unbelievable well i'll tell you what i I got more i want to talk to you about and especially the online competition plus more of some of your memories uh, of uh, of don as we get you ready for the show uh, coming up in about an hour can you stick with us for another segment
0: Oh, sure,
1: Steve. Fantastic. More with uh, John Teicher, folks, as Sports Talk continues. But first, let's go to Charlie One and check in on traffic as we keep things moving here at 515 on a Wednesday.
3: 600 ESPN El Paso.
1: Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. John Teicher uh, joining us live right now on our Village Inn hotline. Uh, Voice of the Miners, longtime Voice of the Miners. And as you heard earlier, he came to El Paso in 1980 with the El Paso Diablos and Jim Paul and spent his first season broadcasting uh, NMSU games and then became the uh, Voice of the Miners the following year. And uh, really, the rest is history. And John, I know along with uh, Jeff Darby, a big part of the Miner Madness, which starts tomorrow at 10 a.m. when uh, fans will be able to vote on the uh second-best team in program history? Or, as uh, UTEP men's basketball tweeted, what if Texas Western didn't win the 66 title? Who would then be the the best team in program history? Now, if they didn't win the title, they probably would be in the mix, but uh, still, I find it fascinating. And one of the interesting things we pointed out about this earlier, Taish, is that um, despite the 63-64 team with Jim Barnes being the number one seed and what I believe was the most talented team outside the 66 team ever to come out of UTEP they might not advance past the first round of the eighty-seven, eighty-eight team just because people voting on social media might not really have a lot of an understanding of what that sixty-three, sixty-four team was all about with bad news and, and just how dominant they were.
0: Well, that's true, but uh, you know, again, I'm old enough to remember Steve. The fact that uh, Jim Barnes, although I never saw him play at at, at Texas Western College, I was fully aware that uh, he was a U.S. Olympian. He was a first-round uh, NBA draft pick by the Boston Celtics. And just some of the numbers that Barnes put up in two years here at UTEP still holds virtually every rebounding record the school has uh, as a uh, senior in 64, averaged 29 points and 19 rebounds a game. You know, although some of the uh, younger minor fans might be inclined to vote for the 87-88 minors, uh, You know, any team that's got uh, Jim Bad News Barnes or that had Jim Bad News Barnes, I'm not sure I could vote against them. How about you?
1: no it's tough I mean and, and we used to talk uh, I talked a lot with Coach Haskins um, when we were doing the show and, and planning things out and I would get to pick his brain I loved asking him about the sixty three sixty four team and, and how good he thought that team was and specifically if he thought that team was better than the 65-66 team and he thought a lot about it and he used to tell me that, you know you could absolutely make an argument that the sixty three sixty four team was a better team even though they came up short and the 65 66 team won it all.
0: Yeah, he, and that was always the indication Steve that I got from coach as well any time that we might have broached uh, the subject. He always felt that that uh, 63 64 UTEP team which basically would have been what his third 61 62 was his first. So it would have been his the third the third edition of of uh, coach Haskins uh, UTEP minors was was really the 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 best team he ever
1: had. Absolutely right. So, by the way, um, just so you know, the tournament expanded to 48 teams in 1980, then to 53 teams in 83, and then two years later in 85, it expanded to 64 teams. Okay. So, that sounds right. is eight,
0: 85 was when it expanded to 64?
1: Yep. I didn't realize it was ever at 53 for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, I didn't either. And, of course... Steve, you go back to the mid-'80s, that's right around the time as well that the three-point line came into being, and it wasn't much longer after that that the, uh, the shot clock was introduced as well. And, of course, prior to the, uh, the introduction of, of both of those uh, of those things, uh, the, the college game was a much different college game than it is today. See, that's another thing. You, you know, when you're comparing... Uh, A team from the late 80s at UTEP, which had the full benefit of the three-point shot, and the shot clock to a team that played without both in the early to mid-60s. You're talking about two different games, two different styles.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost impossible, and that that also begs the question: How difficult was it for you to help seed all sixteen teams in the um, you know going to be in in this um, in in this voting starting tomorrow? Knowing, um, you know, like for example, you had the 405 team as a as an eight seed, and the o304 team as a 10 seed. And I it's funny because I never thought of Doc's team uh seated higher than Billy's team. But that's kind of the beauty of all this and gives fans a chance to really think about it.
0: Well, I, I think the 0405 team was a team that uh, that had both uh, uh Philly Rivera and Omar Thomas as uh, as as seniors. And obviously they were first-year players in uh in 0304. That 0304 team was exceptional. Steve, for the fact that, uh, they were the author of the greatest turnaround in college basketball history from the, uh, Oh two Oh three squad that won only six games to the 0304 squad whose coach did not join the program until well into November as just about the time the regular season was getting underway and, and produced the biggest turnaround, um, uh, well actually that had happened the year before hadn't it the, the coaching change had happened the year before but obviously uh, the 0304 team had the biggest turnaround in the history of, of college basketball but i think the 0405 team was a little bit more of a mature team with with philly rivera and, and ot as 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 seniors and uh, and a team that won the uh, the western athletic conference tournament that year at uh, at the university of nevada Reno.
1: Now, I told our listeners about the... Top sixty four players and the tournament bracket that we're going to do. We, we were planning to do it today, but because of the uh, of the teams that uh, UTEP will be unveiling uh, starting tomorrow with the voting, we've pushed ours back till Monday because we really didn't want to compete with this. We want to do this separately. Um, and it's funny that we all came up with the same idea around the same time. But um, I was telling our listeners yesterday that um, we had, had had you help us out with seeding the sixty four players that we put into a UTEP player bracket for Texas Western and the minors and just how difficult that process is. I don't know, you know, when fans start to see the list, they might complain about seeding. They might complain about who's in, who's out. But it is so tough when you start to really go to the numbers and start weighing players to judge and, and, and gauge who could be, you know, the best, uh, you know, the best 64 players in the history of the program.
0: Well, you could take the uh, most fervent uh... – the hundred most fervent uh, minor fans, Stephen. You might get a hundred different answers, both on the uh, and trying to, to rank or seed the uh, the, the the sixteen other NC two A tournament teams and and the players. I think was even more difficult because there have been so many so many talented, terrific players that have come through uh, UTEP basketball, and to try and rank those players one through sixty four is is just so subjective and you know again if you put 100 people around a table to uh to try and accomplish that you'd get 100 different answers without question
1: do you put the game uh in the tournament uh, the victory over kansas as the highlight of your broadcasting career since there are so many memorable utep games that you've had over uh the last uh what 38 39 seasons
0: Yeah, I'd have to say so. You know, there was so much on the line for Kansas in that game. The Jayhawks were the top seed in the region. They were the second-ranked team in the country. They were playing uh, for an opportunity to to go to Kansas City, Steve, for the round of of sixteen. And that's uh, you know that's a powerful incentive uh, for uh, any University of Kansas uh, basketball. Program to virtually have the opportunity to play at home in the, uh, in the Sweet 16. You win two games there, and you're in the, uh, the Final Four. So, you know, yeah, that, that had to be it. Plus the, the fact, Steve, that uh, we took phone calls on Minor Talk for seven hours after the game. Such was the excitement of people in this community following that game. You know, again, as I've said many times, it was basically that game was a reintroduction coach Haskins to a national audience even though he had won the national title in 66 and a couple of times Stevie had been back to the NC a tournament and obviously through the 80s but not till 92 had the miners gotten as far as the, uh, as the as the round of 16 so I, I, I think that just his reintroduction to a, a national audience uh, obviously as a, as a mature coach uh, towards the end of of, of his career it was it was a thrill being a part of that as well
1: since you mentioned the greeting you had when you first you know saw a coach for the first time at a practice Give me, and our listeners, a little idea of of your relationship with Coach. And as you both became, you know, as you became the voice and really worked with him for, for the remainder of his time at, at the school, just how close you were able to get with Coach Askins and, and kind of your off-the-court relationship.
0: Well, Steve, I, you know, I, I, I spent some time in his truck. I, I guess that qualifies me uh, for... Uh uh for having established some type of relationship with him, I don't know exactly how you would characterize it. I know you probably spent some time in the truck as well. I, I think that was a bit of a uh, barometer but I you know coach was a guy that I, I think you had to you had to earn his trust. I think uh, just for the uh, sheer um, for the sheer factor of time that I was able to, to gain his trust. I think he respected my knowledge of the game. And obviously is so much of what I know, I think of the game of, of basketball and college basketball in particular and how it should be played. Uh, I learned from him, but, um, uh, you know, we became, I, I would say pretty good friends over the years. Uh, Steve, you know, we talked outside of, of games and, 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 practices and, and certainly, uh, by the time that he had decided to retire, uh, we spent a lot of time talking, um, I, I would say at least a couple of times a week uh, during the years of, his, uh, of his, his retirement, just talking about the team and talking about uh, basketball and talking about uh, any number of, of, of different things. So, you know, again, I, I think it was a, a relationship built on trust and built on respect, mutual respect. And, uh, and just the love of, uh, of uh, a lot of common things, not only basketball but uh, El Paso and, uh, and probably uh, some other things as well. 600 ESPN El Paso.
1: John Teicher, the focus of tonight's Don Haskins Hour, coming up in about 30 minutes. We take you back to August of 2006. John doesn't even know how old he was then. And it's going to be great because they're going to be talking all about Doc taking the job at Nebraska. question came in on Twitter from Jaime Pinky He wants to know, Teich, what do you remember in terms of the reception by Kansas fans when Utah played at that 92 regional?
0: Kansas fans specifically before yep. the game, well, obviously they outnumbered minor fans. I, I thought minor fans were well represented, uh, in, in, in Dayton, Ohio, not just El Pasoans, but, uh, none other than, uh, a former great minor of uh, the pre Haskins era, Al Tolan, who was a retired FBI agent and, uh, was living in the, uh, in the Dayton, Ohio area, he was there for the, uh. Uh, for the, uh, the particular uh, region to to watch his miners, so there there, there were miners that that made the trip and that uh, that traveled minor fans, but some from that uh, region. As as we see, where whenever we travel, Steve, wherever we go, whenever we go, there are always minor fans uh, across the country to greet the miners. But obviously, uh, Lawrence, Kansas uh, is a lot closer to Dayton, Ohio than is uh, El Paso, Texas, and there were a tremendous amount of. Uh, of kansas fans there i think obviously that uh, they were in in shock to think that uh, a, a school from el paso texas whom uh, many of them couldn't probably uh, pick out on a uh, a map uh, el paso texas uh, could could possibly take uh, the uh, the kansas jayhawks out of the nc do a tournament and what was so ironic about it steve is down the stretch as you well remember the miners went to a four corner offense to kind of uh, milk the clock and uh, and try and get uh, great opportunities out of that particular offense but obviously the four corners offense was uh, was a, a Roy Williams and a, and a Kansas thing and uh, and the miners kind of beat the Jayhawks at their own game so I think there was just disbelief and uh, that uh, that a team from El Paso Texas could take the mighty Jayhawks out.
1: No doubt, and almost came so close had they not started slow the following game to get into the Elite Eight that year.
0: Well, I've said forever, Steve. I think UTEP would have gone to the Final Four had they managed to get by a very good Bob Huggins coached Cincinnati squad, which featured uh, Nick Van Exel and Corey Blunt, who, of course, both of whom went on to, to play and play very well in the uh, in the NBA. The Miners fell behind 10 to nothing to begin that game, lost by two. And had they won that game, I I really believe that uh, they would have gotten by Penny Hardaway and Memphis just based on the style the two programs played. I I think the Miners would have gotten by the Memphis Tigers in the round of eight. And and I, I really believe that UTEP would have gone to Minneapolis for the Final Four back in '92.
1: We had a great call yesterday from Mark, who took us back to his college years, and he recalled a time when he was in Memorial Gym. The team had gone in there to practice, was told that if he went up and didn't make any noise, he could watch. And he said that uh, in this particular practice at Memorial, uh, Hardaway was complaining about Jeep Jackson while he was guarding him, that he was, I guess, elbowing him or being too physical, and and Don just let uh, Hardaway have it. It must have been like his, his freshman or sophomore year, and told him to essentially to paraphrase it to grow a pair but did it in a much different way and and Mark said he just was you know he couldn't believe what he was hearing but he loved it at the same time and that just kind of takes us to something that you were very uh, privy to and that is watching Don Haskins practices over almost a 20 year period and most people can't say that they ever got a chance to sit in and and see what that was like especially in those uh, 80s teams when they were going to the tournament every year and you know Soup told us yesterday that the practices were so tough, so physical. There were fights all the time, and any time there was a fight in practice, uh, Coach Haskins would have a smile on his face. He loved it when his team would, would would show that kind of physicality.
0: And Steve, no one probably that I ever saw come through the program in my time at UTEP probably fought more and got kicked out of practice more often than a guy they called the beast, Juden Smith, during his time here in the uh, in the early to mid '80s, and you know, Coach Haskins obviously had to deal with with Juden's personality and and his propensity to to play the way he wanted to. But uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think Coach Haskins loved every bit of Juden Smith's personality and and how it manifested itself out. On the basketball floor, but uh, I can't—I I can't even remember the number of times that Juden Smith was expelled from practice for either fighting or or, or being as physical as he was, or you know, from even sniping back at uh, at the bear himself from from time to time. But uh, you know, I think Juden was 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 also one of the Bears' favorite players for those very reasons.
1: And speaking of fights, the triple overtime win over BYU at yep. eighty-five, which featured that yep. classic fight, still will go down in minor fans' memory as one of the one of the all-time great moments uh, at the then Special Events Center, now Don Haskins Center.
0: Yeah, I, I think it started with with Luster Goodwin and Scott Sinek, uh, a, a pesky BYU guard, and, and Kent Lockhart was the one that uh, primarily became involved thereafter and uh, you know don't, not only do I remember the scrap but I remember that uh, the uh, the official uh in that day uh at that time Joe what was his last name um,
1: it might have been Joe Belmont
0: Joe Belmont Joe Belmont who had spent some time Steve as an NBA official as well Joe Belmont got a little too close to the scrap and took one in the chops himself uh that day but uh, that uh, those were the days where you couldn't get a ticket to see the minors play certainly during the uh, Western Athletic Conference uh, regular season where the students were camping out for tickets and people were talking about uh, each and every uh, Western Athletic Conference matchup for days before and days after uh, they took place.
1: Again, folks, uh, starting tomorrow at 10 a.m., you can vote for Minor Madness, uh, sponsored by GECU, the second-best team in school history. You can just check out the social media accounts as they post that, and uh, they'll do that over uh, the next couple of weeks as they crown that second-best team in school history. going to be a lot of fun to uh, see the brackets and how that goes, and then we'll have our 64 top-player bracket starting on Monday, and you'll hear John Teicher in about 20 minutes when we get you ready for the Don Haskins hour. Ty, great hey, Steve, stuff. Yep.
0: Steve, I do want to alert uh, people that, uh, again, the, the voting starts at 10 o'clock tomorrow. You can go on u- UTEPminers.com, the official website, and then vote on the uh, UTEP men's basketball Twitter page. But uh, you might want to get there for the full 16 tomorrow or Friday, because we move on to the quarterfinals on Saturday and Sunday. So if you want to vote on the full sixteen team field of minor nc2a tournament teams you've got to do so tomorrow and
1: friday so by the weekend we'll have the final four
0: we'll have the uh the, well actually i think we'll have yeah i guess that's true I guess. well actually i think the final weekend the quarterfinals which would be would that be the last eight
1: well if it starts would at 16 be, you know, the
0: last eight i think we'd be in the last eight OK, starting so, uh, this weekend and then we'll get to the final four the following weekend.
1: Gotcha. So there won't be any so there won't be any voting over the weekend. Just just really Thursday and Friday, correct?
0: I. Well, yeah, I think we'll narrow it down over the weekend. But uh, okay. if you want to vote on the full tournament field, you probably need to do so tomorrow and Friday.
1: Good. And then we'll get to the Elite Eight. We could talk more about that by the weekend and and have some fun with that. Excellent. All right. Listen, great job. Appreciate the time. And uh, enjoy the uh, next hour because it'll be a trip down memory lane, that's for sure. A lot of fun, Steve. Thank you. All right. John Teicher, folks.
2: Hey, everybody, this is Sal from Sports Talk, and you've been listening to the Sports Talk Podcast from 600 ESPN El Paso. Tune in on weekdays from 4 to 7 to catch the show live, and also keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 600 ESPN El Paso. And visit the 600 ESPN El Paso.com website for the latest in sports with blogs, pictures, videos, contests, and more.
3: 600 ESPN El Paso.